Welcome to Classical Education, a podcast for those who believe in rediscovering the art of asking questions, engaging in conversation, and attending to the ideas at the heart of well-ordered teaching and learning. I invite you to join me on a journey in pursuit of the true, the good, and the beautiful as a participant in the great conversation and listen to the many voices coming from the world of classical education. I have a special announcement. Trey has ventured out to work on a serial podcast to tell the important story of the Integrated Humanities Program taught by professors Dennis Quinn, John Sr., and Frank Nellick. This new podcast will follow the program's life and legacy and include interviews with alumni. Anyone interested in being notified about Trey's new podcast should subscribe to his newsletter at treybailey.substack.com. That's treybailey.substack.com. And he's also continuing to host interviews with classical educators in the Catholic tradition. These conversations will be published through the Catholic Education Initiative YouTube channel. I'm happy to support his work as he continues to be a blessing to the podcasting communities. Today, I'm really excited that I have uh, some wonderful teachers and an administrator on our episode to talk about narration in the classroom. I work with these ladies at a university model school called Coram Deo Academies in the DFW area. And we have on our show, uh, Leah Jones, Kelly Whitney, and Laura Monsolf, and Yvette Cavender. And I'm going to ask each of them to introduce themselves, uh, tell us what grade you teach, and how long you have been at Cormdale. Right, Leah, well, you, yeah, yeah, you go ahead and go start. Okay, perfect. Uh, I'm Leah Jones, and I teach at the Collin County campus, uh, third grade. This is my fourth year teaching and my sixth year as being a parent there. I absolutely love the school and the families. It's wonderful. Thank you. My name is Kelly Whitney, and our family has been at Coram Deo for 21 years, and this is my 14th year of teaching on the Flower Mound campus in fourth grade. Laura? I'm Laura, Laura Monsalve, and I am currently teaching third grade. I have been at Coram, Coram Deo off and on, mostly on, for 19 years as a parent and a teacher, and I love our I love our school and our campus and our team. I'm Yvette Cavender, and I am the grammar school principal at the Flower Mound campus of Coram Deo Academy. My family has been at Coram Deo since 2004. I had two children in the program, and after they started and I got my feet wet with, feet wet with the model, we moved into me teaching second grade, and I did that for years. And after a short stint away from the DFW area, I came back five years ago as the grammar school principal here on this campus. Thank you. Oh, this is exciting. Um, Yvette, if you would start us off, I'd like um, you to explain what the university model is and um, how and when narration became a formal part of the pedagogy at the Coram Deo campuses. Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Coram Deo Academy is a classical, Christian, and collaborative school. 
We offer a university model schedule for our students in grades pre-K through 12th grade. So most of our children spend two to three days with us on campus and they spend the other days um, at home schooling with their parents. We have three campuses across the Dallas Metroplex area. And our goal at Quorum Deo is um, to train ethical student leaders and wise thinkers who will um, shape culture for the glory of God. And we do that by exposing students to truth, beauty, and goodness, by teaching them good habits that will serve them for a lifetime, and by teaching them to not only think well, but also to love the process of learning. So we brought narration into the grammar school um, probably three years ago, and we brought it in when we switched over some of our curriculum in Bible and in history, and it was brought to us by our curriculum director as a very classical approach and a, and a classical um, methodology to use in our classrooms. We brought it in because we changed our curriculum from Bible and history facts and information based um, learning dates and events. We, we, we learn history and Bible through story. So having a story-based Bible program, history program, literature program gave, a, gave us great opportunity to use narration within the classroom. And we know that it is a proven tool of old that has value and has, um, has traction underneath it for being a great way to improve vocabulary, to improve comprehension, to teach young children how to store and retrieve information. And we, um, we found that putting in in the classroom has been extremely successful for us in the last few years. And we're starting to see the fruits of its labor in our children. Oh, good. Yeah, we're going to come back to that. Um, just for the sake of our listeners, um, would one of you define narration and, um, and then maybe jump into telling us uh, when, when narration became a required part of the pedagogy, how, how did it make you feel at first? Mm -hmm. Who who go first? Um, narration is, it has a real simple definition. It's simply a retelling. So the child is telling back in detail and sequential order using some of the author's vocabulary and phrasing, what they just heard or what they just read, even at the very young age, they can retell even something that they've just done or experienced. So it's very simply a retelling. Mm -hmm. Now, Kelly, when, when this was implemented, was it new to you? Brand new. Okay. I had never heard of it before. Is that true for all of you? Yes. Yeah. Not for me. I had done some homeschooling with my daughter and some Charlotte Mason um, classical. And so we did a lot of narration in her kindergarten, first grade year. So there was some of that that I had done as a homeschool mom, but not in the classroom setting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How, how did it? Leah on that. We did it naturally. It was a natural thing when I was homeschooling my son because I wanted him to tell me what he read. And we had lots of discussion, but I didn't know it was called narration, but. Sure, sure. So, so how, how did it make you guys feel each one of you? Like when, when it was being implemented in the classroom, did you feel nervous? Were you confident? Um, and was it what you expected it to be? It was totally intimidating. Um, okay. 
it was hard for me to imagine that I was going to require my students to do something that I found so incredibly difficult and intimidating myself. I was terrible at narration when I tried it for the first time. And so that was really my first emotion that I felt was it was very intimidating to think that I was going to go in the classroom and do this with my students. Mm-hmm. How did it go it, the first few times you did it? Surprisingly well. The children take to it very well, very quickly. They catch on so fast and they clearly are much better narrators <laughs> than I think we as adults are. Yes. Sure, sure. How about you, Laura? Um, I was a little intimidated. My uh, biggest concern was how am I going to do this with a large group of children? Not that we have large classrooms. I taught in public schools. It wasn't, it's not that large. But when you get up to 10, 12, 14, 16 kids, um, that's, you know, when one's narrating, my concern was holding everyone else's attention. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that has changed since. That's how I felt at the beginning and through the early stages of it. Um, but as, um, as was just said, Kelly just said, the kids did great and they, they do very well at it. And I'm way more comfortable with it now. Mm-hmm. How about I you, Leah? As, oh, sorry, Yvette, go ahead. Sorry. I think as um, teachers in a classroom, we want to impart knowledge. We have um, great curriculum. We, we, we love to be in there with the students, telling them what we know and, and, and giving them that wisdom and, and guiding them into thought and conversation. So it's um, difficult for a teacher who is used to that method of teaching to step back in narration and allow the children to do the thinking and allow the process to naturally work itself out and let them do the discovery because you're just asking guiding questions and you're simply reading. So it was a different way of thinking for some teachers in terms of how they were going to lesson plan. Now I'm not detailing what am I going to tell you in the course of the day, but how am I going to guide you through this discussion and how am I going to be the facilitator? So I think teachers had to change a little bit of their mindset in terms of their approach to their planning and their approach to their classroom instruction. Mm, that's a really good point. L- Leah, how about you? How, how was, how did it, how did you feel? I was apprehensive at just doing it in a classroom setting. I'd never done that before, but honestly, most of my, I was really excited. I was so excited for the students to be able to give, be given this amazing opportunity to um, interact with the stories that they had just been read to. And so um, to me, I was excited to see their own recall and retelling of the story. And that would, I think, encourage them to think more clearly in the story versus saying, okay, who are the characters? You know, where is the setting? Just these blunt, you know, very baseline questions, like to be able to have them bring out, just like Yvette was saying, you know, you're the tour guide. You get to like walk mm-hmm. them through this story and want to point out things, but you're not the one saying, okay, notice this flower. It's red, everybody. Okay. Let's move to the next thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Yvette, as an administrator, what did you, did you see like from your perspective was going on with the teachers and their reaction to this? 
I think they were slightly nervous. Um, it, we needed to have some training under our belt, some good solid training that told us what the purpose of narration was and what we were um, expected to see out of it, what the outcome was and, um, and how it was going to be beneficial and helpful in our classrooms. Why is this a preferred method and why is this better than what we're currently doing in the classroom? So we had to get the teachers to shift over and trust that this was something that, um, that we had confidence in and that we were really excited to play out. We also needed to be very patient in watching it play out. It doesn't have an immediate um, change in the classroom in terms of seeing the benefits play out in the next day. You have to teach them in small bits and pieces how to implement narration, and then you have to let the children experience it and let them grow within the process of narration so that over time you see how beneficial it was. And you start to see in these little ways outside of necessarily a narration-based classroom experience where they're using the narration or you see something pop up in education and you say, aha, that's because we have our children narrate. Look what this did for this child. Look how, look how um, able they are and how confident they are. So we're seeing those things start to come out now. And we've just had to, to let the process play itself out for a bit of time. Mm -hmm. it, was Can really anyone... helpful. it was really helpful to have examples and to have people come in and show us how to narrate. So as Kelly was saying, it was a bit painful because we weren't used to it ourselves and we were not as good at it because we are older. Children can narrate much easier than adults can at the beginning. So when we tried it, we were fumbling through it and we needed to gain our confidence by seeing our kids be able to do it. Yeah. So Yvette, you're saying, I hear you saying that it took a, a, few, a few years or some time to sort of see some fruit Mm -hmm. in the in the in the children. So can anybody give any examples of of that happening and noticing um the fruit in your students like did it take a while for you and what what kind of outcomes did you start to see and how long did it take? It did take a while. I'll um say for I'll use an example this year as an example of a student who at the beginning of the year she was very uh, hesitant. She, you know, she would pass a lot of times. She, she would say, I don't remember. And, you know, as time went on, she has just blossomed and she can narrate beautifully, you know, orally and written. So I have seen that fruit and she's not the only one, but over time with consistency and they're used to the the format and the procedures that we do through this process. Actually, it's a process that happens not even just on the subject. It's throughout the day, throughout the subjects um, that it gets intertwined with. So my students are very comfortable narrating now. And what grade did they start narrating? Is it first or second? I think it's first grade. That's yeah. what I was going to say as well. That's what we'll, I think too. We'll narrate in concrete subjects way down even into the kindergarten level because it's possible when a teacher defines um, a vocabulary word in the classroom and sure. she asks the student to retell what the definition of that vocabulary word was or she gives an instruction to a kindergartner and she says, Sally, will you please retell what it is that we are supposed to be doing right now? 
that is a very basic beginning form of narration. So if we consider those things to be a start of the process, we are doing that all the way down at the very young ages and then moving them up in an age appropriate way. Lots of times that's in the base in the um with a basis in picture study as well. We will have them look at a picture of a story and retell the story to us using the picture or tell what they see there. And um, it is a very beginning form of, of narration. Mm -hmm. In the, in the kindergarten and pre-K. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. I, I think that's great. I think another way that uh, I've encouraged schools uh, even though Charlotte Mason says, you know, formal narration doesn't really start till around age six. Yeah. In pre-K, pre they can absolutely narrate by acting out the three little pigs. That's a form of narration that works great and I, I lays a good foundation, I think, for them to be able to process and order their thoughts so that they can enter into the realm of the more formal narration that then goes into the written form. Um, Laura, back to your example of the little girl that was struggling at the beginning of the year. I'm curious, was she new to the school this year? She was not. So she took some time getting comfortable with this. She that's, did. That's very, very interesting. Does yeah. anybody else have a, a story to share? So one interesting story, this was like the year of COVID. So 2019, 2020, this was like my first year coming on staff and becoming the third grade teacher. And we, of course, ended up online. And I received an email from a parent who said, I have to let you know that my little girl, um, when I was doing their uh, Bible story for church, halfway through it, she says, stop, mom, I need to narrate so that I can remember what this story is about. <laughs> And she's like, I just have to tell you that because yay, yay, Mrs. Jones, yay, third grade, yay, CDA, yay, classical education. Because she said, truly, she was like, you're telling me too much. If I tell you it back, I can remember it way better. And so I just thought it just gave me such encouragement that her daughter knew what works for her. Like this mode of retelling really helps put that story in her heart, not just in her mind. And she asked her mom to stop reading their Bible story for church so that she could remember it. So I love that. She sees the benefit and yes. could feel how it was helping her. Yes, absolutely. That's I awesome. A beautiful example happened in class just in the last couple of weeks. And with fourth grade, we can take them yet a little bit farther with what we're doing with narration in the classroom. And our group has been working on um, our discussion time, our Socratic discussion, and how we ask good questions and how we support and respect one another in the classroom during narration. And I had a little boy who had been struggling greatly with giving me detailed narrations. And it was his turn to do a narration and he got started but didn't get very far and he got stuck. And so I just kind of looked at his neighbor and said, can you help him out? And he immediately jumped in and picked up right where that child left off and, and started narrating. And he stopped before he reached the end and paused. And he looked back at his neighbor and he said, do you want to finish it? How about you take it from here? And the, and the little boy was like, Yes, and he jumped in and detailed ending to the narration. And wow. I just had to catch my breath at the beauty of what the two of them just did to help each other out and be respectful 
So you start to see when they get comfortable with narration and they know how it's supposed to look and these beautiful things start happening all on their own. I really love that. Wow. I'm crying. (laughs) (laughs) It was beautiful. Really, it truly is. And I, this, I, I homeschooled and narrated, you know, at home and it is a lot more challenging. I mean, I have one child who could just narrate everything like so much that it was like, I was tired <laughs> listening <laughs> to the narration because it was, it was so long. And then I had another child who could just narrate a couple sentences that was very basic to the point and, and uh, didn't care to give all of those details, but it was fine. She, that's how she narrated. And I think it's okay if some kids do it that way. But um, I have seen in helping schools for the last seven years, how incredibly um, beautiful this is in a classroom. And I think that, you know, Charlotte Mason had classrooms. She had a lot of students. (laughs) And in fact, if I I can remember, I'm not exactly sure the numbers exactly, but I remember she, at one point she had like 200 students in a two room schoolhouse with an assistant teacher and then like a student who was an assistant. That's a lot of kids. And so, so she would have some of the older kids with the younger kids, and then they would have their narration kind of even like you would call in a modern day school today, literacy circles, you know, and they would narrate within that, that realm. But she really did see that narration was great as a classroom uh, practice. And uh, I often laughed when, when I would read in her book and she said, Oh, they love to narrate and it, they delight in it. And I would think, well, some of my kids really don't love it and delight in it. And a lot of homeschool moms have problems with it. And then I realized when I started helping teachers in the classroom that, ah, the classroom kids really do delight in it. (laughs) It's, it's because I think they, they can piggyback on each other with like what you just said. Um, and Kelly, that they, they can, help each other out. They, they learn how to work together and, and it does make it a really delightful experience. And I've had some kids tell me that uh, classroom kids say that they liked it because they could, they would hear things that they had forgotten. And it's, so it's almost like the narration is almost like a second reading so that maybe they didn't miss it, but they forgot it. And so now they're going to remember it because they've heard it again, rather than it just being another reread from the teacher, they're hearing it from different voices. And so it really can make uh, the story come alive and and sit uh, in their hearts so that they get it. Um, So I'd like to hear a little bit about what some of your challenges have been um, in narration from maybe even from when you started thinking through some stories of challenging moments, I know there's teachers that are, that are, that are going to want to hear uh, what challenges they might expect or some troubleshooting with a specific um, issue that you've had um, and how you handled some of those challenges. Does anybody have anything to share there? I still have an ongoing challenge that I I think one of the things that's the most challenging for me is when I have a student that just doesn't seem to be able to narrate, to give me anything at all. Mm -hmm. after, After months of being immersed in that kind of setting. And the challenge is me coming up with different ways that I can work with that student, um, that are a little bit outside the box 
or trying to find ways that will help them with that. Students, that you know, the more they develop their habit of attention, the easier narration gets for them. So sometimes it is focusing on helping them with that habit of attention. But I have found that to be really challenging and I'm trying some different things with this child. I'm noticing that the only time he can give me some narration is when it's the end of the narration. So he's not remembering anything throughout the whole narration till we get to the very end. So then if I lob it over to another student and they take over the other day, I tried stopping that student just before the ending and kind of tossed it back to this other student. And he gave us a sentence or two to wrap it up. And that was like the first success he had had. And so we're, we're building on that and trying some new things. Interesting. Interesting. Laura, what about you? Um, I would say uh, the attentiveness in a group was probably my, my challenge, one of my challenges starting out. Um, but then, you know, I learned and we had a system down. We, and I taught the kids, you know, we, we don't have anything on our desk and we're going to be attentive and um, recently learned about the slant. So um, that acronym and my kids caught on so quickly to it and they, they want to do well. And so, you know, I, it was just this, this week on day one, our classrooms days or day one and day two. Um, so day one, uh, we sat down and one of the kids said, okay, slant everyone. And they come to it. And one of the uh, boys, who's one of my active boys said, we need to add to the A. It's not just ask and answer questions, but we need to have a good attitude when we do it. So we're going to have a good attitude, ask and answer questions attentively. And so they did, uh, they just really get into it. And um, I can, um, you know, agree with Kelly. They, they help each other. They encourage each other. And so I went from a class of trying to keep their attention to them being involved. And I think it's because, you know, we were so rigid starting off, you know, as uh, Yvette had said earlier, we needed some training coming in and, we weren't fully trained, I don't believe, although, I don't know, there's Mrs. Jones over there who's natural and it just kind of flows out of her, but some of us needed like good training, how to play with the narration, which actually felt more natural to me, um, which is was my style anyway, but we were, I guess, instructed, this is how it is, you follow this protocol you know, this one child, don't ever interrupt. He's got to go the whole way through and everyone else is falling asleep. And to where when I, after I learned to play with the narration and felt that freedom, it just came alive in the classroom where I could say, oh, that's fantastic. Let's let Yvette take it from there and give her an opportunity. And then, you know, and we, we, we did it in different ways from different voices as well. So it's just playing with it, making it alive in there. And so now the children are really enjoying it. Not only have they grown in their ability to narrate, what I wanted is I wanted them to enjoy it too. 
And I'm right. Right. Um, For the sake of our listeners, I want to define slant. So S is the acronym for sit up, L for listen, A for ask and answer questions, N for nod your head, and T for track the speaker. Um, So yeah, those are just a nice way to help kids remember how to attend well. But Laura, I appreciate you talking about playing with narration. I think our listeners may want to hear a little more about that, what that means. And to me, it um, gives us a picture that narration is an art. It's not a tool. And so if we're just using it as a tool and we're doing it one way, the hammer does one thing, it can get dry. It can get stale. It can really kill the joy, right? But if we're seeing a narration as an art, art is something we can play with. We can use lots of colors, but there's still a form to art. There are still rules within art. And so um, as an art we can really have a good time with narration. And so I, he- I hear that, that, that I hear you saying that, and I appreciate that. Um, who, uh, Leah, did you have anything you wanted to share about um, challenges you've seen with students and how you've helped overcome some of those? Yeah, I think um, I agree with the attentiveness. That's always a challenge, I think, to just continue to help impart that habit on our students. But I think one thing that has every one, every so often I get a very shy student who is very capable. I know in their brain, they have a beautiful narration swimming just up there. I can see it in their eyes, but the intimidation of saying it out loud in front of everyone scares them. And I, um, in the past things that have worked well for me is pulling that student aside and saying, I know you have a lot that you want to say in your head. Are you afraid? Yes. And I'm like, okay, here's what I want you to do. Just say one thing, start with one thing that you can tell the class. And then as you get comfortable with that, start trying to say two or three things you remember, because I think them knowing that I know they know what's going on helps them say, okay, she knows what's going on. And just giving them the freedom to say, I know that this might be afraid, but like, this is part of our class. Like you're, you're a fellow soldier in this class that we're all working together to create this beautiful masterpiece, if you will. Like you were saying, it is art. Like you're retelling the story in your own words and the word is creation. I mean, like you're creating the story again, using your own language. And that's a beautiful thing to do in a classroom setting. And so helping them see the value that they bring to the classroom, I think is really essential as well. Mm -hmm. Have any of you noticed any connections with children who struggle with narration to them having maybe um, uh, attention deficit disorder problems or do you think that those kids are do fine with narration or perhaps uh, a concern that maybe they're not reading enough at home or they're watching too much TV? Do you, have you seen any connections with kids who struggle with that, with any of those issues? I, I wanted to, to tap in there and I was going to say, listening to the teachers talk about their struggles with narration, um, they are struggles that I think you would have no matter what methodology you were using in the classroom and no matter which subject that you are using in the classroom. So they're not showstoppers. They're, they're struggles, but they are able to be overcome. And it's not a problem with narration. It's how do we have to handle these problems we see in the classroom using this as our methodology. So Kelly talked about knowing that that child's ability to pay attention 
rolls over into other areas of his life. And it is something that he struggles with. So she has to be really attuned to her children to know when can I grab something from this student to make him successful. And the process of narration will help him come into attention. Because if she sets a loving environment in the classroom and a supportive environment in the classroom with his peers through conversation, it's not a threatening environment. When you're sitting there in a circle with all of your buddies and your teacher talking about a wonderful piece of literature, that can be a very comforting, safe environment for a child. And when you know your classmates are going to be there to help you and support you, he can be attentive to that a little bit easier. So she knows there's something else going on here that I have to grab a hold of. Laura talking about giving them um, the slant cue and using a liturgy or using something to pull them in and set those expectations of this is what we are about now. That is setting a positive classroom environment and managing your classroom well so that you can gain the full benefit from narration that it has to offer your classroom. So when we set those expectations, we are making it so that this process can come to fruition and be this beautiful thing and keeping it fresh, finding ways to play with it so that in your classroom, we do it so much in a day, you can do it in so many different ways. Finding something different in this moment that can gain all the benefits and be true narration, but doing it in a slightly different manner as the children grow and in an age-appropriate way just keeps the classroom exciting. So it doesn't become a boring or um, a, a classroom uh, methodology and process that the kids tend to find is drudgery because we as educators know how to shape that up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Good, good. I, I want to ask one of the questions I get a lot at um, professional development trainings is how do you grade narrations? How, 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 what are the policies that CDA has for grading narrations, oral and written? We haven't even talked about written yet, but what, what kind of policies, how do you, how do you grade them? Anybody want to share? The system okay. that the fourth grade teachers are using. Um, often my teaching partner and I will get together when, when the kids have done a written narration. Um, and we will share them together and we'll discuss them together. And that influences our, our grading. We kind of consult each other on that. But you know, we kind of have that rubric in our head that we we know ahead of time what kinds of things we're looking for in their narrations when we read them. The fluency, the level of detail, author's voice and vocabulary and sequential order. And so we're we're reading them for those things. And, and the children know that ahead mm -hmm. of time because we've had that conversation about what we look for in um, a good narration. And so they are aware of all those things too. So when, when we're grading, we're, we're looking for those types of things. Okay. Leah, did you want to say something too? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, Kelly is very, like we, we do the same thing in third grade in an oral setting. If the students are narrating back, um, we look for, you know, sequence of events, vocabulary and detail. And those are kind of the three things that are just very easy. Are, is the student doing those three things well and going grading from that kind of area? And we do it in buckets, like kind of a 
you know, one bucket here for someone who needs improvement, one bucket here who's doing satisfactory, if you will, and then one who had an excellent narration versus it being like, oh, that was a 90, but maybe right. you'll get a 94. But we think of it holistically um, versus just, you know, uh, yeah, by grade, if you will. So, okay, that's good. And that would be the same for uh, written narration. We do have a rubric for that, but it's general as Leo was saying, um, did they include all, you know, all of the main parts of the story? And then how was their voice in the writing? Did it sound like a story? Um, so it's the same with written. Mm -hmm. And I think most teachers in the classroom will just use a clipboard and a piece of paper, almost like a roster where they're just making check marks and stars and smiley yeah. faces and exclamation marks as their note to themselves to say this child contributed today, this child did it. And I think it's like any piece of data that we gather, we have to look at it as improvement over time. Um, a child um, may not have gotten really um, clued into a certain part of a story, um, but the next day they may grab all of those elements um, exactly right. And because it's conversation in the classroom, children have lots and lots of opportunity to, to chime in and to participate and to carry on the conversation and add detail. So it's not a one and done thing. It's not like it's a math test or a worksheet where you're saying what was the color of the shirt that they wore or what did they say in response? And it's a one answer. And if you don't get it, you don't get it. We have opportunity to talk to our kids multiple times in the course of a literature session or a history or a Bible session to really get an understanding of whether or not they grasped the story and the truth and the beauty and the goodness that we want them to have come out of that because it's discussion and it's conversation. Right, right. How how do you guys transition to written? When does that happen to written narrations? And when you start written narrations, do you continue doing oral narrations? We never stop doing oral narrations. They're all the time, every day. And written narrations in fourth grade, we are probably doing um, every couple of weeks we do a written narration. Sometimes it'll be a scene out of the current literature book we're in. Sometimes it's on a short history story that we're covering that day. And other times it's on um, some classic works, short stories that the kids haven't heard before. And it's the first telling that they've had of that story. So we do those every couple of weeks in fourth grade. Okay. And it's Kelly, watch the growth. Yeah, the Kelly, I want you to tell our listeners what you did at Christmas time that was so creative oh. with the Christmas story. I just love this. That was one that kind of came out of one of my challenges of learning to play with narration and coming up with something really fun for the students. The great thing was they had no idea we were doing narration. So any child that's not quite comfortable with narration yet, really, they, they didn't view this activity as narration. But what we did is we read the Christmas story out loud, and then I passed around a bag that had characters on the little pieces of paper in it. And each student pulled out a character and read who their character was. So it might have been the innkeeper. It might have been um, the shepherd or one of the wise men. So they were all different 
characters. And did then you use the talk- animals too, like the donkey? We, we did it this time. Or the I star. To do that this first time, trying out this idea I had. Um, so next year, the animals are totally going in the bag. Um, but then I told them that they had to put themselves in the shoes of that character. And they had to tell the Christmas story based on that character experiencing it. And the results were highly successful and fascinating to read. And the kids could not wait for me to hand them that piece of paper so they could start writing. And so many of them, I was shocked at the voice that they wrote. with. Some of those felt like they could have been recorded in the scriptures. Like they kept the tone and the author's voice from... Um, Luke and Matthew that we read those out of, it was fascinating to see how the kids took that and ran with it and had so much fun with it. They they're, they were clamoring with, we're going to share them, aren't we? We're going to share them. They couldn't wait for theirs to be read. I love that. And the one that you let me read, I think it was the innkeeper perspective. Yes. And, and, and she had conversations and quotes she had it was just the dialogue was there it was beautiful I would really love to maybe I don't know if, if how I could do this but it maybe type up one of those written narrations as an example in the show notes if that's possible um, or I could find out I don't know if I could attach a pdf to the show notes with some of those narrations for the our right. audience to read because very encouraging to see I, I see this as a fruit of doing narration for a couple of years now Right. It's it's not just something you guys have dabbled with. You are really doing it, and it's it's showing. Um, Adrian, I'm also seeing this come out in other ways in our in our programs. We do reading fluency assessments on the children to ensure that they are at um, at least a grade level um, reading ability. And I am hearing the children when they go to um, answer comprehension questions, or we we finish and we just say tell me about the story and they start full narrations using author's voice and vocabulary and quotations and things like that. So they're rolling over narrations into areas of their lives that are not um, where their teacher is sitting down and saying, okay, this is a narration exercise. So remember these four things. They, They are doing it all over the place. I hear them when I read story time in the morning to the children and they will answer a question or they'll tell me something about their story. They're pulling back in vocabulary. They're pulling back in author's voice and using direct quotations. In just general conversation, we have just about a book we read in the morning before school starts. So this is becoming a part of the children and it's becoming um, something that they are able to use to have confidence in speaking and in um, in using new vocabulary words. So it's got more benefit than just that classroom learning experience. It's giving them um, really great skills to carry forward and to give them confidence in life and in who they are as a person and what they have to contribute to a conversation. I love that. That is that is a great testimony to the power of narration. Mm-hmm. So good. Um, Laura, would you share a little bit about how th- how you guys transition into written narrations in third grade? So in third grade, we we the whole first quarter is oral narration, and it's about in the middle of second quarter 
that we will ask them to do a written narration. And we will use a short story from 50 Famous Stories uh, that they have, they're, they're short stories that they haven't heard before as well. And we just let them know, okay, I'm going to read it. And then you're going to write it. You're going to, instead of orally narrating, you're going to write it. And their eyes are big and they're, you know, they're a little nervous, but they do such a great job. It was really, it, it's always really, it's always impressive to me from the very first one on. And, you know, we do two a quarter at, after that, you know, um, in third grade. Okay. They do. They really do well. And for those who I've had students who do not orally narrate well, but they can write. And so that tells me that, you know, that's just part of the beautiful way God has created us differently. Some are just very introverted and they have, like Leah said, she can see it all in their head. It's not coming out. I had one little girl who, I mean, all, she just would not say hardly anything at all. Never more than one sentence. First narration, she wrote the whole story in the author's voice. It was amazing with all of the details. I can't say it was 100%, but I would say it was 95 because it was pages. Wow. Yes. Leah, you have something to share too. No, I just, I, I just think that it's just always amazing to me. Um, cause sometimes in oral setting, like those Shire kids, you see them really feel freedom with their pencil and be able to write so many details down that, that they may have been even they've maybe grown, but it's just really fun to see. So yeah. Yeah. I love written awesome. narrations. I think they're really fun. Yeah. They're amazing. Um, how this is probably be our last question before we close out, but how, how do you guys think we can help parents? So you all are in a collab. This is a collaborative model. We're working with parents. What are some ways that, that we need to work with parents with helping narration happen at home? Anybody have any? The first, we have parent orientation at the beginning of the year. I think it is, vitally important that we do an example in that orientation. We need to explain what narration is and also we, which is what we did in third grade. I know is we actually read a story and did a narration in class with the parents, just us and the parents. And so that kind of opens their eyes, but I'm seeing also that I, 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 try, and I think all, all of us teachers make ourselves available to answer parents' questions. And we are collaborative. So there is communication going on back and forth regularly um, so that we can, I guess, hone in on individual students who are struggling. And it, then it's going to be working with that parent and giving them suggestions. Try this. Try, you know, as you're reading Story of the World, and give them specifics of what to do. That has been very helpful. I know um, I know that uh, there's a student I was concerned about this year working with since the beginning of the year and working very closely with that mom. We're st I'm starting to see some cohesiveness come together and I'm thinking, oh, praise God. <laughs> He's coming through and but it's been it's been work between the parent and I 
So that collaboration is definitely a beautiful aspect of, of our model of what we do. So that is helpful. Um, someone who's, so I'm just gonna say parent and teacher communication is very important because the parent is more than likely not familiar with it. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I think you have to allow parents to really understand the benefits and like really understand the benefits because it's very easy to be like, okay, yeah, we need to do this. Great. But I don't think unless you educate them, like I think all of us have grown in our understanding of what narration is as we have done it and the training that we've received and the education we've received and then seeing it for ourselves. And I think that's a huge part of um, helping parents is to help them see by training, educating, and showing them the benefits and really in continuing that. It's kind of like the gospel. We never we never need to not hear the gospel. It's something that impacts our lives every day. Not to say the gospel and narration are the same, but uh, just in the same way, it's something that I think parents, even though they've maybe been in this our model for years, it's a good thing to continue. And I'm sorry if y'all hear my dogs barking right now. It's okay. <laughs> I think something else that we have done well is um, within our lesson plans, we have given parents through our um, through our, our, our planning of their home day activity in Bible and history, for example, read this part to your children and then have them narrate this part back to you. So we've guided them through the years on length of what the student should be able to do and given them something that is equivalent to what we're doing in the classroom, knowing that they can back up if they need to and encouraging them to back up, move forward on the length. But here is about where we are in the classroom for the average child. We've also posted videos of um, the, how the children do it in the classroom with the teacher and put those on our website so that our parents can access and watch children doing their narration process and seeing a full segment of a class so that they understand this is how it plays out and this is what I can expect. And these are some tips and, and things that I can do to make the practice at home a little bit better. And there's nothing wrong with um, telling parents to tell others the benefit that they have seen. Um, here at the Flower Mound campus, I have taken our fourth graders to a fifth grade classroom, or I've invited the fifth grade teacher down and I've said, watch what's coming up to you. And they, um, you know, the one teacher said, game on, I've got some planning I have to do over the summer because you're sending me some kids who are really advanced and are really capable. So when we know that and we tell our parents, this is what the other teachers think and this is how excited they are, then they're going to tell other new parents coming in and younger parents, just wait until you see where they're going to be in fourth grade. So that positive promotion of the good experiences and success stories is something you really have to promote within your community so that people understand that we do see the positives and we do see the successes. Mm -hmm. That's good. Does anybody want to add anything before I ask our last question? That sounds like what we do in narration. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I do. One other success um, that I've seen that really surprised me. I, I probably started dabbling with narration in the classroom four or five years ago before our school really implemented it all the way down. I was trying that in fourth grade. And about three years ago, I remember running to Yvette and our curriculum director with this news that I had that I couldn't believe that 
after the fluency testing was done on my students, I was shocked to see that for the first time in my teaching career, every single one of my students, after using narration that year, had advanced so far in their fluency and their reading level that they were well beyond fourth grade, every single child. And that has occurred for the last three years. And so to me, that was confirmation that what we're doing and the changes that we have made is allowing these children to just take off and have such great success. And they're so prepared to go on. Wow. That is, that is an amazing testimony, but I have heard that from other teachers I've worked with in other schools, uh, kids just jumping many grade levels in their, uh, benchmark testings on vocabulary. So yeah, this is great. Narration works. It's great. (laughs) It really does. Um, I'd like to ask my guests before I end a podcast, if you would like to share, um, perhaps a book title of a book you wish you had read sooner in your life or a quote that has been important to you personally. I think the one book I wish I had read earlier on was Classical Me, Classical Thee. Um, I read that probably two years ago when my daughter, it was the sign for her, I think it's in ninth grade or 10th grade, I can't remember. Um, And she was just over the moon with it. And I couldn't believe how excited she was after reading this book. So I, of course, grabbed it and read it too. And I think that to me is a book that kind of gives the why, why, like, we say all these wonderful things about classical education, but what is it and why? And it just, it, and it's very easy to read. And I just thought, I wish I had read that book years before. So. Good. Kelly or Leah? For me, um, it's hard to just pick one. So I might have more than one. <laughs> uh, no and Tell by Karen Glass was invaluable. Laying out narration all the ins and outs, all the different things you can do with it, all the benefits and how to implement it, what to expect. It's just a gold mine. Mine is dog-eared and highlighted and tabs sticking out of it everywhere. Um, Great resource to give you confidence too in your ability in the classroom and and what your goals are. The other one is um, Caught Up in a Story by Sarah Clarkson. No, that's mine. Let me do that. Okay. So I'll stop there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did you toss it to me there, Kelly? Yep. It's all yours. Um, caught up in a story, I would agree with Kelly, and she is the one that recommended it to me. But it's a book by Sarah Clarkson. And the premise of the book is that our lives are actually like a story chart. Our lives play out. We are characters and we have settings and we have rising actions. And at some point in our lives, we will face conflict and we will have a defining moment um, and it will resolve itself in some form or fashion. So what kind of story are we setting our kids up for? And through the stories that we give them, we need to realize that that literature is giving them scaffolding to stand on and giving them examples of heroes and, and decisions that are made so that when they come to those defining moments in their lives, they can recall the characters from books of old and they can remember what that character did or that brave hero, what they were able to accomplish and uh, call on those moments of time when they need them so that they can 
live a life that makes a wonderfully fulfilled story. Um, it's a great and easy read, and it flows right into the importance of story. And then again, how talking that story through and understanding that story um, will give the children a glimpse of truth, beauty, and goodness so that they um, have, a, have, have a great foundation to move forward in their lives. Every parent should read that book. It's about having a literature-rich home environment. Mm -hmm. You get done reading it, and you just want to run, grab a classic, and get lost in the beauty of what it provides. So. That's great. I, I like Sally Clarkson a lot. What, early on in my homeschool years, I read The Wholehearted Child, I think it was called. Yes. Very good. Yeah, she's, she's good. And I went to one of her conferences forever ago. Yeah, and Sarah's her daughter, right, Kelly? Yeah. Yes, yeah. her daughter is the one that wrote the book, yes. Ah, gotcha, okay. Yeah. And Laura. Okay, so I went a different route when it came to a favorite book. Um, we've, we're in this classical education, so we get a lot of knowledge. And um, I just, you know, I, I do read classics, and I love C.S. Lewis and, you know, Iliad Hobbit, but... I, I have to go when I'm talking my favorite book that I wish I would have read sooner is actually called Humility, True Greatness by C.J. Uh, Mahaney. And uh, he says humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of, uh, of God's holiness and in light of our sinfulness. And I say that because I go back to scripture where uh, we're told to grow in knowledge and wisdom. And, the, you know, it, classically, we are wanting to instill virtue, right? And, and wisdom. And so I just like us all, I, I like for myself, I need to stay focused on, it's easy to, to be filled with pride with, with knowledge. But I want my students to always be, you know, I, we're going to instill wisdom and virtue definitely humility in them. And so that's one of, that is my favorite book. And I've read it more than a couple of times along with screw tape letters. <laughs> this is great. Thank you so much, ladies. This was a real treat and I'm very uh, grateful to get to work with all of you at, at Coram Deo. Thanks for coming on to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can get involved in a few ways. There's a Facebook page where we actively discuss the ideas around classical education. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash classical education. And if you want to help offset our production costs, you can support the podcast financially by going to www.classicaleducationpodcast.com forward slash support. As the great artist and educator John Ruskin once said, Well, my friends, the final result of the education I want you to give your children will be in a few words this. They will know what it is to see the sky. They will know what it is to breathe it. And they will know best of all what it is to behave under it as in the presence of a Father who is in heaven. 